the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back. It's been a really good week. It's been a few good weeks. And actually, these weeks are typically described by market participants who have participated for a long time as the Santa Claus rally. And uh, happens near the end of the year, uh, typically because, you know, in the old, well, actually, a lot of mutual funds still have a December 31st fiscal year end. Uh, so, and some of the funds, a lot of the funds, particularly hedge funds, are paid based on the performance of the fund. So, what better way to bump up your compensation than to run up share prices <laughs> with your own buying? <laughs> yeah, there's something wrong with that. But, but anyway, and incidentally, January tends to be pretty good too, mainly because the vast majority of pension plans, defined benefit plans, make their contributions in the month of January. So if you're thinking about pulling out of the stock market, which is probably never a really good idea, we're going to talk a little bit about that later in uh, today's show. But if you're thinking about it, December, January, definitely not the months that you want to be considering that. And, you know, having said that, I think somewhere like two out of the last five have been kind of crappy. Uh, So nothing that you can say works all the time, every time. It just, you know, it just doesn't work that way. And I wish it did, but you just kind of have, have to take what you're given and work with that. In fact, I don't think you should be thinking about whether you're going to load up on the market or not. I, I pulled up an article, and I'm trying to get permission to distribute it. It's from Morningstar. And uh, it talks a lot about dollar cost averaging, which I'm sure you've probably heard of. And dollar cost averaging, if you haven't heard of it, is putting your money in a little at a time. And this article is mentioning that that is not a good strategy. That if you're putting in a big lump sum of money, that trying to put in a little bit at a time over several months or stretching it out over a year has actually proven to be very harmful to your portfolio. And this is something that I've, I've talked to some people about. And, you know, they're upset because they want to do it. They think it, it makes sense. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? It, it, it hasn't worked for a while. And then now I've got this article where you've got academic scholars who go and study this stuff and use a whole bunch of four and five syllable words, which tends to convince people more frequently than simple words 
that will come out of my mouth will convince them. <laughs> they just love to hear those long, boring, unbelievably tedious, overkill explanations. That's what the public likes. And they're more than happy to give it to them. And they'll probably charge them a lot of money to attend a workshop and spend a few hours talking about it. We're all get done with it in about five minutes. And see, so the, the, the problem with that is that when you can finish it in five minutes, nobody ever thinks it's worthwhile. What? You can't possibly cover all that. Well, you know, what else is there? <laughs> if it hasn't worked, and, and let, me give, let me give the explanation why. Uh, I, I've seen this all oh, the last five years. It's really killing me, too, because it's, it's, it's a client. There's a client that wants to put his contributions every year. Every year we've been buying, the market had been going up. So when you're separating the money into 12 equal installments and you're buying as the market's rising, the uh, you're paying higher and higher prices. And then when it has that correction, you're behind the eight ball. I mean, it goes down. So had you invested everything up front and just rebalanced your portfolio once a year, it made a lot more money, like a lot more money. I mean, it's, it's not a small amount. So that's kind of a real-life uh, experience. And I have to tell you, I am not allowed to, I'm never allowed to mention names of clients. And there wasn't just one that wanted to do that. So um, there are actually several. And We've had this conversation and uh, some of them don't want to change. Some of them do want to change because they're just so convinced in their ways, despite the fact that it, you know, it's been costing a lot of money. And uh, I, I hate when that happens. You know, some people stick to some ideas like buy and hold. That's a bad idea. That's a horrible idea. Unless you're buying and holding a fund and you understand how the fund's managed. That's a pretty good idea. If you really understand how the fund is being managed, and a fund is going to make adjustments along the way. And that's important. I can't tell you how important that is. It's kind of like, remember the joke about the sausage? You know, it's, you just don't want to see the sausage being made. Sausage is delicious, but you don't want to watch how they make the sausage. <laughs> it's the same thing with the stock market. You see the performance of a fund over a long time period. You're like, wow, that is so awesome. You start looking inside in the actual individual positions and see how much they fluctuate. You're like, oh, my God, get me out of there. I got to go. No. <laughs> and this is one of the reasons that I use mostly funds these days, because people get really upset. And uh, there are two. This is the other reason. There are two basic styles to investing. A lot of people like to refer to them as value and growth. Well. Let, let's stick with that. Growth would be those things, those the companies that are growing really fast. Value is investing in something because the share price is down and you think it's worth more than what it's selling for. So that's the old buy low, sell high. And the growth is like, well, we don't really care how high it goes because it's still growing and it's growing really fast. Okay, and over time, both of those can work very well. They generally don't work well at the same time because in some you're buying stocks that are going down and the other ones you're buying stocks that are going up. That makes sense. The problem uh, with both of them is that you have to have a lot of patience. 
That's the problem with investing in general. You have to have a lot of patience, a lot of patience. And, you know, unfortunately, when the going gets rough, a lot of people, their patience goes pretty thin pretty quickly. And, uh, and if you could see inside those funds, I promise you, if you were able to see inside them, it's just like watching sausage being made. You're probably going to become a vegetarian <laughs> if you watch the sausage being made. If you watch how mutual funds stocks fluctuate inside of a fund, you're probably going to stick to just bonds. Not a good idea. That is not a good idea. Or CDs or something that you, you consider to be safe. Yeah, there's a reason that stocks, one of the reasons that stocks have better long-term results is that they're actually more volatile. And volatility, by the way, works both ways, down as well as up. And uh, so you don't want to avoid volatility. You just want to manage it. That, that's really the key, managing the volatility. You're always going to have volatility. It's just part of the way that things work. It's part of the way it is. One of the ways of managing the volatility is, is not being able to see all of it. When you can't see all the volatility, I think that works in your favor. Uh, I can tell you after 30 years in the business, I know it works in your favor. In fact, my most active portfolios, the ones I'm running myself, I don't look at them during the day. I, well, I try not to. Occasionally I'll look at it. But, but the vast majority, 99% of the time, I'm not looking at it. Why? Because I don't want the day-to-day volatility to make me make a stupid decision. Because it's pretty easy, especially when a, lot, when a stock's getting hit really hard. It's easy to want to say, you know, I got to go, I got to go. And uh, if a stock is getting hit and it goes down far enough, well, you have to sell it just to manage your risk if that's how you're managing that portion of your money. That would be a momentum style. If your stock is down a lot and you bought it because it was undervalued when you purchased it, and then it goes down a lot and you can't really find a reason why there's nothing... The CEO, the CEO is, is still there. The staff is still there. Nobody's absconded with money and gone to South America. The, uh, all that, you, you can't find anything bad about it. And in that case, you probably want to add to that holding. So those two styles, by the way, are polar opposites. And I feel bad for anybody that's listened to my show long enough because many of them get the impression that I only do one thing. And that would be wrong. You've never heard me say that. That's an assumption that you made on your own. I don't do one thing. I do multiple things. And some of them are the absolute opposite of one another. Why do I do that? Well, because I learned one technique when I was really young in the business. Got pretty good at that. And then I wanted to know about the other one. And I have multiple personalities. I'm just kidding. Well, kind of. Yeah, you have to have multiple personalities. If you're going to be a momentum investor with some of your money, you're going to be a value investor with the, the rest of it. Yeah, I think you have to have two personalities. Now, the value stuff, I kind of leave to the funds that are out there now. And I don't want to spend too much time beleaguering these points because I hate to bore you, especially when I know you're out shopping for Christmas presents. But I just want to tell you that this is probably, you probably heard this, that this is one of the longest expansions in the history of the country. And I'm going to tell you, it's not over. It's not over. You go back and you look at the contributing factors, the things that are making the economy do well. It's the investments 
in the green technologies that are starting to pay off. You know, all those solar panels that they're putting up out there? You know, Warren Buffett owns a company that has the largest solar farm in the world, in America. Those solar panels use semiconductors. And I know you've never heard me talk about semiconductors before, right? Not in, <laughs> I talk about that in every show. The uh, Guess what? There's huge demand. And the prices on those things are still extremely reasonable when you look at valuations. And what do I mean by that? Well, I guess you should probably come to the next seminar that I'm going to have because I'm going to show you what I mean by that. I'll show you how to calculate that pretty quickly. If it takes you more than 30 seconds or so when you know how to do it, it's because you're goofing around or you're not getting access to the correct information. So it'll actually take you more than 30 seconds just to find uh, the website. But once you find the website and you find the data, this, these, are compli- these calculations are not complicated. Anybody with a fifth grade education can do it. So I think that's, uh, and if you can't do it, bring a fifth grader. If you don't have a kid that's in the fifth grade, bring your grandkids. <laughs> they need to learn this, by the way. They really do. We'll talk about why they need to learn it, why everybody should learn this very quickly, early in their life. Number one, it's not all that complicated. I don't care what these guys say. It's my One of my goals in life is to make this less complicated than it currently is, than people like to make it. Because realistically, it, it just doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't need to be complicated. It, in fact, you know, simple is easier. Simple is better. The simpler you can make it. Now, you don't want to leave out anything that's absolutely necessary. That's, that's not a good idea. I get this happening all the time. Oh, I bought the stock from your list. Okay, how much did you buy? Well, I, I put $5,000 in there. Well, how much did you have in the account? $5,000. Okay, you're not listening. <laughs> you're not listening. But I bought what you said. You didn't buy it how I said. I said don't put more than 5% of your money in any stock. You put the whole thing. <laughs> By the way, you can add zeros to that. I've seen that number go up to 500000 Somebody with a $500,000 portfolio put the whole thing in one stock. Are you kidding? Anyway, we'll talk about how you can avoid that issue <laughs> when we come back from these commercial messages. It's Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Hey, did you hear that Charlie Brown music? That's from uh, Charlie Brown Christmas Story. Is that what it is? That is awesome. <laughs> anyway, hey, you know what? I forgot to mention, when we're having a seminar January 30th. That's a Thursday night. There's no cost. You can sign up by going to my website, Bullington Capital Management. Uh, I'm sorry, BullingtonCapital.com. And uh, no cost to attend. Seating is limited. This one's probably going to fill up. And uh, the seminar is called The Question and answer seminar. We're going to uh, take a bunch of questions and provide a bunch of answers. I'm going to provide some of my own questions. Those would be the economy is on a roll, but how long will it last? Where will future growth come from 
and how do you identify and invest in the opportunities that result from these developments? That's a big one. Are interest rates ever going to go up? Is it possible to minimize taxes without reducing returns? By the way, that is way easier today than it ever has been. Thanks to some clever lobbyists. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, how do you minimize risk when the stock market is so volatile? I'm going to spend a few minutes on each of these topics and then we're going to answer questions from the attendees. If you, uh, if there's anything you ever wanted to ask a professional investment advisor, now's your chance. Again, there's no cost to attend. Seating is limited. This is going to be at the Tri-C's Corporate College, 4400 Richmond Road, Warrensville Heights, Ohio. Uh, if you go to my website, you can actually view that location on a map. And again, it's free, but seating is limited. And, you know, this is such a, a great time to be an investor. Interest rates are relatively low probably not going up anytime real soon. And uh, the economic growth looks like it could be sustained for a lot longer, not a little bit. I think it could be sustained a lot longer. Now, is it going to be a straight line? No, it never is. It slows up and it speeds. uh, I'm sorry. It slows down. (laughs) It slows up. It, It slows down and it speeds up and it slows down and speeds up. But the overall trajectory is pretty... I think it's going to be pretty high. There's a lot of reasons for that. There are a lot of developments that are going on in the economy, not just in the 5G. I know people are are bored to death hearing me talk about that. But there are other developments around the world that are going to make a big difference, that are making big differences. And every time you've got industries that are growing at a fast rate of return, it helps your economy. Because everybody working in those industries tends to buy food, they tend to, to wear clothing, uh, they buy houses and cars, they send their kids to college, and so the entire economy benefits when you have one or two drivers that are growing faster than average. And in this case, you've got to go back to the early 1900s, like the 1920s, to find a time period that is similar to this one, where you've had So many technologies happening at the same time. You think about it. Right after World War I, you had the uh, airplanes. So you had aeronautical companies springing up. Um, You didn't have the big 747s at that point in time, time, but that's what they were working towards. You had cars, automobiles, trucks. They were growing and expanding and improving exponentially. You had this thing that you're hearing me on right now called radio, which was brand new. You know what I saw? This is really funny. I was looking at a a radio museum and there was this little tiny radio and some of the stations back then used to hand these things out. They were giveaways. They would hand out a little radio and it could only pick up one station, (laughs) the the station that was actually handing out the radios. (laughs) So it was a single frequency, single frequency radio. That was pretty clever. <laughs> Think about that, though. That was that was awesome. And uh, then, you had, of course, phonographs, you know. So you had uh, telephones were only 30 years old at that point in time and were improving exponentially. So were they? they, they were, no, they, yeah, they were about 30 years old. So anyway, you had all these things growing. And oh, this is another good one. I saw this article that this guy wrote. And he's an engineer and he's an old school engineer. And I feel bad for you guys. He doesn't want the change. He says that 
the electric cars, they, they cost just as much as the other cars, sometimes even more when you factor in all these other uh, costs, the cost of producing the electricity. And I'm going, yeah, you know what? Uh, a lot of what this guy's saying is true. And you can tell he worked and still is probably still working in the automotive industry, and he just doesn't want the change to come. I feel bad for people like that because it's coming, whether you like it or not. It's coming. All the things that he's saying, yes, they're true. But that's today. Look how far computers have come in the last 20 years. Look how far cell phone, the smartphone, the, far, the smartphone, yeah, the smartphone <laughs> is about 20 years old. Now think about that. When the first smartphones came out, what did they do? You couldn't do video. You couldn't listen to the radio station. You know, you can pick this show up on the, on the internet, on your cell phone. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You can go right to the fish's website on your cell phone and listen to the show. And if you hook it up uh, through Bluetooth on most of your cars today, you can hear it in your car. So you could be traveling around the country. And I'm not sure why anybody would want to do that, but you could be traveling around the country listening to the Bullington Capital Report through your smartphone, and it's coming out of the dash of your car. Think about that for a second. So anyway, my point behind all this is that you've got to go to periods like the the Roaring Twenties. Remember that? Now, when I bring that up, by the way, the first person I brought that up to, and this is how we are trained and conditioned as a society. As a society, we, we are going to try to poke holes in everything. Good reason. Absolutely. A lot of people have been taken advantage of. But immediately, somebody goes, oh, no, that led to the crash in 1929. Okay. But if you had been investing all the way up to 1929, you'd have been making a lot of money. And had you recognized that stocks were overpriced, like Merrill Lynch did, by the way, you know that that's how Merrill Lynch got so big? Because they recommended to their clients that they hold bonds. Think about that. That was a good call. And there will be other people making those same calls if it ever gets to that point again. I don't know if you go back and start listening to my radio shows in the late 90s, especially right around 2000. People were really upset with me because I'm saying, yeah, there are a lot of good stocks out there and most of them are not worth what they're selling for. Go listen to the shows. I, I think they're archived somewhere. But yeah, a lot of stocks are not worth what they're selling for, and they make up a big percentage of the index. I did not call the 2006 uh, decline, by the way. It started in 2006. Market actually uh, peaked in 2007 and then bottomed in 2009. That was totally different. You had a couple sectors that were really overpriced. You had banks that were overpriced, and then you had housing companies that were overpriced. They make up about 30% of GDP. See, the thing is, when banks get overpriced and then bad loans come in, uh, the correction there is not just in the price of the, the bank's stock. The bank stops lending money or slows down the amount of money that they are lending. And since we run completely on credit in this country or largely on credit in this country, that is a problem. That's why that decline was so severe. Actually, that's half the reason it was so severe. The banks kept lying about how much they, uh, exposure they had. That, that made it worse. And the fact that it turned out to be, uh, that it showed up, rather, in an election year, I felt like George Clooney in that movie, The Perfect Storm. You see that movie? 
If you haven't seen it, don't see it. It's depressing. <laughs> Those guys are out on a fishing boat and three different hurricanes hit them from three different <laughs> areas at the same time and it sunk the boat no matter what they did. And they tried and they tried and they tried and it didn't matter. Too much water. The boat overturned. They all went down with the ship. And uh, I was severely depressed after that movie <laughs> because that's what it actually felt like in 2008 and 2009. You could have taken the, the steps that they needed to take. Congress could have done this. But in an effort to gain control in the House and in the Senate, they held off on doing anything until the election was there. And then they, yeah, they, they got their president elected. And then the very next time that they came up for re-election, they got booted. The American public, you know, it's like uh, George Bush Jr. once said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Fool me can't fool me again. <laughs> you got to look that up. <laughs> I just, I miss that guy so much. <laughs> It was so easy to talk about stuff <laughs> when he was in office. I mean, it's easy to talk about stuff now, but it's, just, it's a different animal. You know. but George Bush, he was, he, he, he was my guy. <laughs> Always provided a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah, that was so funny. Anyway, I lost my whole train of thought now. <laughs> but uh, I think I hear a computer uh, going off in my ear there, but that's okay. But like I said, you've got the uh, seminar coming up January 30th. We're going to talk about why this is. Oh, and by the way, the valuations on stocks got really, really high in 1929. They're not at that level right now. The, uh, a lot of things happen you know, when the economy, uh, you only needed to, to put up 10% to buy stock back then. 10%. I mean, it's like putting down a you know, 10% deposit on a mortgage, except that, or a house, but houses prices don't fluctuate like stocks do and the one day the reason that that black monday was called black monday you know the market dropped about 11 percent a day so let me explain something to you <laughs> when you put 10 percent down and the market loses 11 percent, not only did you lose all your money you owe another 10 percent of what you invested so you're down 110 percent you got to come up with that other 10% and you got to do it quickly. They don't give you a lot of time. By the way, the Fed back then had almost no power. And back in those days, the bank could call your home mortgage and you had 30 days when they called it to pay it off. 30 days. Now think about that. This is why the big crash like that and the depression that followed is not likely to happen. When I say that, people are like, how do you know? Uh, well, because I studied the history of the markets. Yeah, and I was an econ major. <laughs> we didn't have any power. We didn't have any tools. It, the market's not going to go down and stay down like that. They know what they need to do. They'll do the same thing they did in 2006. They'll do the same thing they did in 2000, and they'll get the market back on track. You know what happens in the meantime? It's called inflation. That's what happens. That's, that's part of the side effects of healing. And it's amazing to me that people don't really pay that much attention to inflation. I like to call it the silent thief. By the way, if you go out to my website, 
and you have a question, feel free to call, to fill out one of the contact forms. I'll put you on my mailing list. We just sent out a, a nice video explaining inflation and how that has an impact on you. And uh, this is a, a something I found really funny. Actually, I've only got about, six, about 60 seconds before I have to take another commercial break, so I'll hold this off until we come back. But you are listening to Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon on 1420, The Answer, and also 95.5thefish.com as a uh, podcast. Stay tuned. Hey, we're back. That's a great song. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Oh, man. So we were talking a little bit about uh, the website and how you can contact me there, sending in questions. You know, it's really funny. I, I get a lot of people that, that have a question, and that's all they say. I have a question. <laughs> They haven't been saying what the question is. Now, maybe they're typing it in and it's not actually coming through. I don't know. Uh, I hope that's not the case. But uh, if you have a question, feel free to go to the website, fill out the, you know, click on one of the many contact us links there. Send it in. We'll be glad to get back to you. If you want to be put on that mailing list and you want to see that video that we just put out about uh, inflation, I thought it was very well done. I didn't do it, by the way. I hired a firm that did that. And uh, for your benefit. It is really cool. I call inflation, I was always calling it the silent thief because it robs your purchasing power. Let me give you a little example here. Let's say you had a car. You wanted to buy the car. The car's $20,000. Okay. And you thought, well, I've got $20,000 in the bank right now and I could take that car. But if I leave my money in and I get 2% interest over the next 12 months, I'll have $20,400 next year. I'll have $400 left over. So you decide, I think I'll wait one more year. Now, next year, you get the $400 in interest. You probably pay about 20% in taxes, when most people will probably. So 20% of the $400 is $80, so you're actually at $20,320. Okay. In the meantime, the price of the car went up four and a half percent or let's say it went up five percent so the car goes five percent of twenty thousand is a thousand last year when you could have afforded the car you should have made the purchase but now because the car has cost the car cost twenty thousand five hundred dollars and you got your four hundred dollars in interest and had to pay eighty dollars in taxes so now you're at twenty thousand three hundred twenty you can't afford the car anymore <laughs> well you can't afford to pay cash for it you're actually going to have to borrow some money or come up with cash from some of your other savings. 
And that's what's sneaky about inflation. Just kind of sneaks up on you. How would George Bush say that? Snakes up on you. <laughs> Sneaky. <laughs> but, uh, the, I sound a little bit like uh, George Bush and uh, the, the sheriff from um, the Duke boys. <laughs> Anus, you got yours. <laughs> oh, I used to love that show. <laughs> anyway, so back to uh, what we're talking about. Yeah, inflation is, inflation is tough. It is really tough. People have a tendency not to think about that. Think about this. If if you have a 3% inflation rate, prices go up, I think it's around 50% or so. I forgot what the actual amount is in a 20-year time period. You know what the average retirement period is? It's a little over 20 years. So if you think things are expensive when you retire, <laughs> wait. To, and by the way, medical care costs, which become a much larger percentage of, of your uh, outlays in retirement, you know, unfortunate thing about getting older is, you know, stuff starts to wear out and you got to go to the doctor more often to get it fixed. And medical care costs have been going up at three to four times the, the inflation rate. So the inflation rate for seniors, people who are going to the doctors more frequently, is a lot higher than the inflation rate for young people. Think about that for a second. In fact, depending on how young you are, the, the drops in the prices of technology, your inflation may, rate may be negative depending on how much money you spend <laughs> on technology. So that would be very difficult, by the way. You know, and actually about the same as the Browns going undefeated you know, for one year or any team going undefeated for that matter. The, uh, you know how many times that's happened? I think once in the entire history of the NFL. So there is a chance, uh, just not a good one. And, uh, anyway, so you got to you got to plan on inflation. It's a big risk coming up to retirement. Um, medical costs, you know, I need to get a handle on that. That there's no easy way to get a, a good handle on that. Uh, you just have to do the very best you can. Uh, I've got a guy if you want to talk to, and, and this is basically how we work at my firm. Uh, I have people in the estate planning area that can that are wonderful at doing trusts, uh, helping us plan and protect the assets that you've worked so hard to save up and accumulate. Uh, we've got an enrolled agent for tax questions. If you have tax questions, you're a client of mine. I give you his name and his phone number and I'll give him an email and tell him you're going to talk to him. You can call him up and he bills me. And, uh, so if you're going to get your taxes done, then you pay for that. But he's actually one of the reasons I use him is he's very reasonable, extremely reasonable. So if you have questions regarding investing, that's where, that's where I come in. We help you divine, uh, divine. <laughs> yeah, actually sometimes it is divining, but we help you, uh, put together a strategy that's going to help you, uh, try to meet your goals and stay within your risk guidelines. And this is one of the key things that, that people always forget about is risk. When the markets had a big run or had a good run or some one of the, you know, small cap stocks had a spectacular year, everybody looks at that and goes, wow, that's what I should have had. Well, see, you would have had to have a crystal ball that works to figure that out. To know in advance which category is going to win for any particular year, you actually have to have a crystal ball that works. Now, I got a crystal ball in my office. I actually kind of put it out of the way so you have to look for it because it was making people nervous when they walked in and didn't know me very well. 
<laughs> you should see the married couples. I think they come in and they see the crystal ball on my desk and they're looking at each other like, uh-oh. <laughs> but, uh, but I'll show it to you. I have a real crystal ball and uh, it doesn't work. And I, I put it there, you know, kind of as a, uh, uh, I don't know what you would uh, call that, as a reminder that they don't work. And, and it's really easy to put together strategies uh, if you come into it with realistic expectations. Yes, your stocks should do better than your bonds over time, but they fluctuate. How much fluctuation are you willing to put up with? Which kinds of strategies have a tendency to fluctuate the most? Because if you're not really young, you'd probably want to um, not invest in those. And the, and the ones that fluctuate the most, by the way, have a tendency to have the better long-term returns. See, there's a cost for that. If you want better long-term returns, you got to be willing to put up with a lot more fluctuation. Does that make sense? The higher the fluctuation, generally the higher the long-term returns. Uh, again, uh, I just want to remind everybody, we're going to be talking about all this stuff again uh, at the workshop that's coming up. Uh, it's called the Question and Answer Seminar. We'll be talking about this because this stuff is important and it's hard to get really good information on this. Uh, the vast majority of people uh, that market products, they have marketing campaigns that are designed to generate interest to, and they're designed to sell products. They're, notice I'm not saying they're designed to evaluate your risk tolerance and help you pick out the right funds. They're designed to sell their product. There's a difference there. It's subtle, and it may not be the one that's right for you. In fact, one of the better performing funds out there uses price momentum, price movement, as one of the key factors, and it's got a great long-term track record. It's awesome, okay. but it's a lot more volatile than your average fund, particularly more volatile than funds that, that pay dividends who have very good returns on the invested capital. What is return on invested capital it means when people put money into the company to make an investment, they're earning a high rate of return on that. A company that has that characteristic has been very profitable, has a tendency to be a little less volatile than a company like Beyond Meat, who hasn't earned a profit yet. Okay, and they tend to be a little bit less volatile than a company like Netflix that just got overpriced by such a wide dollar amount that, you know, it, it's going to be more volatile. Facebook, you know, uh, NVIDIA. These are all companies. They're great companies. They're growing very fast, but their share prices are really volatile. So if you want those great big returns that those things can offer, you better be willing to, to you know, ride the bucking Bronco because that's basically what, what happens. And, uh, and I know, you know, I read the, the ads on Facebook. I hear, I see everybody's... Oh, you don't really need to take that kind of risk. Yes, you do. And by the way, if, if they really knew how to generate those great returns without that kind of risk, they wouldn't be publishing that information. <laughs> they would be keeping that to themselves. And anyway, and, and you know what? I'm, I'm going to drop this for a minute because I'd really like to go back to what we were talking about uh, a little bit earlier in the show where this economic expansion is already one of the longest in history. And I think it's about halfway there. I really think it's about halfway there. And by the time we get to that other four to five years from now, 
there are other things that are under development that are going to be coming out. They're going to be hitting mainstream that are going to be producing further economic growth. This is absolutely amazing. And, uh, and I'll tell you what those things are too. They're under development at the same time that 5G is coming out, which affects almost every industry, by the way. It affects cable. It affects television. It affects cars. It, it affects Amazon because of the devices that they can put in your house to listen to everything you're doing and watch with you. I'm mean, just kidding about that. Uh, kind of, but the, uh, it affects Amazon. It affects retail that affects everything. So this is a, uh, the gas to liquids that I was just starting to mention affects transportation and it affects airline travel because you can take natural gas, turn it into jet fuel at a substantially reduced cost over using other alternatives, using petroleum. And it burns cleaner, a lot cleaner, not a little bit, like a lot. So if it's a, a whole lot less expensive, do you know what the biggest, the biggest cost for an airline is? It's fuel. So if you can reduce the cost of their fuel, how cool is that? I mean, do you know what that does for the airlines? Profit margins? It's awesome. Why am I saying it's probably four or five years away? Because you have to build out a huge amount of infrastructure to support that. And, but it's not like it's not coming. It's coming. It'll be here sooner or later. And that poor guy that was writing about, you know, all the, well, it's more expensive and it's not going to, it's not as good as it looks. And then these electric cars, they're, they're just as dirty and, and they're expensive. I'm like, uh, yeah. Did you ever see a computer back in the 1970s? Did you ever see a picture of a computer from 1950s? It's just the way technology evolves. We all know what the potential is. And is it tough getting there? Absolutely. And by the way, the fact that it is tough to get there means that there's the growth is probably going to be a lot longer. The periods will be a lot longer. There needs to be a lot more done. It was talking about delivering electricity and how difficult that was over the current infrastructure. Yeah, well, I got news for you. Our current infrastructure in the United States, it's been around since the late 1800s, knucklehead. It needs to be replaced. They've been needing to do this for a long time and not just because of the being able to use solar or natural gas powered plants or wind. It just needed to be replaced. It's completely inefficient. Doesn't work that well. And, but people don't want to have to spend the money. You know what? Cheap is expensive. In the long run, cheap is, ask those people whose homes were damaged or wiped out when that dam broke that was holding back all the water and all the ash from the electric utilities. That's what you want to stick with? That's your alternative? Reminds me of when the uh, um, tractor companies uh, were called out by all these these farmers who were going to bring their prize mules and show them that the prize mules were still the way to go. You don't want to unemploy all these field hands. We want to use our prize. We're calling you out. We're going to see who gets the most done in a day. The temperature got up to about 115, and half the prize mules died. That's why we're using tractors. <laughs> I hear the music. Uh, I'm really sorry about my tone of voice on that. I, I just was listening to that. I feel bad. But uh, anyway, this is Bill Bullington. Feel free to go to my website and contact me. Uh, have a good week, everybody. Good luck and good investing. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. On AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him 
at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or purchased by advisor or product made reference to directly or indirectly will be profitable. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will either be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any other investment professional. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.